Hello, and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. I'm here with Scott Powers of the law firm of Snow, Christensen, and Martineau. We're once again minus uh, one of our favorite members, Danny Sepernich, who wasn't able to make it today. Um, we're hopeful she'll be back for the next podcast. Um, today, Scott and I decided it would be topical, fun, exciting to discuss um, attorney-client privilege and uh, the issue of recordings, uh, which is ironic given that we're making a recording right now, right? Is that ironic? I don't think it's really irony. It's like just maybe two things. I mean, if it was secret. Two things that happened to, to happen. Yeah, the, the, the issue isn't recording, it's, it's secret recordings. Um, so, uh, obviously this has come up a bit uh, because of um, the investigation um, into Donald Trump has uncovered um, some recordings of him talking to his lawyer that were made by his lawyer and apparently without his knowledge, um, which there's some question about the legality of that and the ethics of that. Apparently it's a, the recordings were made in a one-party state, but uh, it's unclear uh, whether or not you know, there are any uh, ethical violations. And I know attorney, Trump has, has waived uh, attorney-client privileges to at least one of the recordings, but perhaps not the others. And um, you know, this is an interesting issue of attorneys recording conversations with their clients and um, you know why they might choose to do that uh, and what the rules are with regard to that. And I think Scott and I are probably only experts on that with regards to Utah. Um, but uh, there are some also some federal rules that apply across the board. Um, Scott, what are your initial thoughts on the current events? At least let's start with that. Well, it immediately brings to mind the need for the recording. You know, why, is, why was Cohen recording it in the first place and it makes me think about my own practice and and uh, I, I'm pretty meticulous with regard to memorializing conversations with my clients in particular conversations wherein we talk about the uh, the risks posed by one course of action versus another and it, one of the first things I noted when I started being a litigator this is you know over a decade ago um, every client that that I dealt with, had a version of events in their mind that oftentimes differed from what the overall picture ended up being. It's kind of like a game of telephone. I mean, it, it, you talk to somebody and, you know, well, I mean, I, I've been in depositions with parties always, you know, even on the same side who were discussing the same conversation. They were both present with others while it was had. And it seems like everybody has a slightly different uh, version of what was well, said. Well, precisely. And so bringing that back around to recording or, or memorializing things, um, I, I've had a number of cases wherein we have to make a big decision. And, and when I say we, I mean it's primarily the client who gets to decide. I put all the risks out there. I say this, these are the various choose-your-own-adventure paths. Here are the risks associated with each one. Tell me what you want to do and what you feel comfortable with. And they eventually choose one. 
and I've had a number of times where we go down that path and things don't go well. And, and some of the, the, the things that we, we knew were risks, that we told them were risks, bear out. And I, I can't tell you how many times when you get to the end of the road, they come back and say, why didn't you tell me this Ooh, could happen? Yeah. And if you, haven't, if you don't have something, whether it be a recording or, or a, a, an email, in my case typically, where an I clearly said, this could go just like this, you know, they, they don't remember you telling them that. They, they, they pick and choose what they want to remember. They remember it kind of in the rosy, you know, haze of, of yesteryear in their minds. But then when it becomes a reality, all they can remember is the warm fuzzy they felt about the good. Well, and it's, it's that kind might of, come. it's kind of a, an, a you know, um, an interesting facet of memory that, you know, it all depends on your perspective. And I mean, I can remember a, uh, auto versus versus a, uh, a bicycle uh, road bike case that I had I was representing the never bike. hit road bikers uh, a road biker who was in the bike lane and somebody pulled out in front of her and we deposed probably seven or eight witnesses who either witnessed the accident or witnessed the immediate aftermath mm-hmm. and it was the most bizarre thing ever because each one of them had just such a dramatically different <laughs> I mean, some said she was riding in the bike lane, like she said. The majority of them agreed on that fact, but there was one guy who said she was, like, riding on the sidewalk and then weaved out into the street. Most lawyers are never available when you need them. The Utah Trial Lawyers do things differently. We handle personal injury, commercial and criminal cases, and we take them all very seriously. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. Getting an actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare, no matter how important your case. At the Utah Trial Lawyers, every case is important and every client gets our full attention. We take cases to trial, and for that, you need a lawyer that is paying attention. You need the Utah Trial Lawyers. Each client of Utah Trial Lawyers has their individual attorney's personal cell phone number. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case anytime, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. It doesn't matter if you call on a weekend, holiday, during the zombie apocalypse, or the literal end of the world. The Utah Trial Lawyers are here when you need us. And, and you know, the, the physical evidence didn't support that. I mean, there was just, memories just differed. And these were uninterested parties. I mean, these are people... Don't have a dog in the fight. Yeah, they were just, they were just outside. And I, I you know, I... My practice with clients is I make, you know, my own notes and a lot of times I use email and things and, um, you know, I'm not going to say that I haven't recorded a client conversation where I was, I was concerned that the client might still have a little bit of a selective memory or whether we'd had a problem, you know, with a client that, you know, um, particularly clients with, uh, you know, really severe brain injuries, maybe, um, you know, they, they may not recall exactly, uh, legitimately recall what we discussed, but the, the big problem that I see is usually when it comes down to those decision points, the clients often want me to make the decision for them. They're like, well, what would you do in this situation? Well, if you were presented this, what should I do? What, what do you, what do you recommend that I do? What, you know, what is, 
you know, you, you tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And I always refuse that. I mean, I can say, look, I can give you, I can tell you the likelihood of certain outcomes if you take a certain, you know, and I can tell you the pluses and minuses of, of each decision, but I'm not going to give you an answer as to whether or not, you know, you should accept that settlement offer or whether or not you should demand more or whether or not you should go to trial versus settle the case or, or you know, any of the big major decisions that the client really is responsible for making on the case. And I, I kind of, my first protection is I try and have them, you know, I'll say it over and over and over and over. I'll say, look, I'm not, you know, before I get started, I'm not going to give you the answer to this, but I do want to, we have to make a decision, so let me lay it out for you. And then I lay it out and I say, now I can't tell you which of these options to choose, but here are the pluses and minuses of each. And they, and they have inevitably say, well, if you were in my position, what would you do? And I can say, you know, I, I really can't, I'm not comfortable really telling you that because I feel like your instinct is going to be to just do whatever it is I say I would do if I were in your position. And I'm not in your position. I usually give them my thought, you know, I usually give them a recommendation though. Um, but, uh, you know, the decision's always theirs. And even if I do give them a recommendation, it's always going to be backed up by, I explained X, Y, and Z, and you went with Z. Yeah, and I, I try and avoid giving recommendations unless unless it's, unless it's just so obvious what they should do um, that that I say, look, here is here is here here are the pluses and minuses given... You know, all of these pluses and that there are virtually no minuses. You know, I, I kind of recommend that you do X, but, uh-huh. um, you know, I, I want you to know that it really is your decision. So you think about it for the evening and then and then tell me. Um, because, you know, nobody, usually nobody's on the phone but me and the client. And so. All right. So getting back to this. Yeah. Trump stuff. I'm. I can't figure out uh, why on earth Trump's magical team of ad wizards would waive the attorney-client privilege to any of those tapes. I think there was I, I one see that was already so out. little benefit. I think there was. I think the tape that was. I think there was. Now, I, I, I try not to follow the Trump news too much because it, there's it, a lot of it, and it's annoying. Yeah, it's somebody told me they some university did an analysis and said there were more quote unquote major stories, however they define that, and in in a, a month of a tr- the Trump presidency than there had been in in uh, you know the entire presidencies of Obama and George W. Bush and uh, Bill Clinton combined or something. Oh, I think you'd be hard pressed to lump Clinton in there. <laughs> that well, I mean, there. there's like, but there's like, the, you know, that, that may be. But what I'm saying is, is there's there's just too much to follow and and keep your head straight. But I think my my understanding is, is this was a particular recording that had already been leaked, was already out, and that it didn't really include anything. Uh, damaging, and so they figured. I mean, I think they my said their calculus is well. They said that they it allows them, them to give a uh, their version of it, right? Like they they have, I guess, some more record. I don't know. Yeah, it, it sounds like there his are, version. There are lots of um, from from what I've seen. But from, the court gave them the ruling. That's the thing that drives me nuts. I mean, the court considered it and said, "Nah, 
this kind of stuff never coming in. It's it's attorney client, and 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 you'd be able to use that as as kind of precedent. I don't want to say res judicata because it's a different issue. It's a new tape later on, so sure, you probably have to go through course. the same analysis. But if the court, it's like a ball sometimes. You know, it there, starts to roll, is, and it and and it'll roll over stuff easier once it's got some momentum. There so is a line. You got the court going with you now. Why would you ever waive it so that the court later on goes, well, he waived it anyway. Maybe that's going to factor into the court's well, calculus of something new. And I don't know what something new is, but I can't imagine there's not something and there is a doctrine, extra out there. There is a doctrine, that, and I don't know where you roll over this line or if it you know, will not apply you know, to separate recordings. Um, but, but there is a line that you can cross if you're not careful that you know there's no such thing as a partial waiver you can't take for example a document and say all right we're not waiving attorney client privileges to this we're not waiving attorney client privileges to this part of this communication in an email but we are waiving it as to this part in the middle and the other side's going to take that to the judge and say judge with this partial waiver we're entitled to see the whole picture here we think with this partial waiver, they've made a complete waiver of the attorney-client privilege, at least as to this document. And I have seen that go uh, where the judges said, yep, absolutely, it's been waived. They voluntarily produced that. Now, maybe this is different because it was a raid, um, you know, and it was taken from the lawyer's office. But, um, you know, which I, I'd be interested to hear how common that is that the FBI or a police agency actually raids an attorney's office looking for documents on the client. I mean, it's only happened two or three times with me. Yeah, just two or three times. <laughs> Not looking for I'm documents kidding. on the client. Looking for documents on the lawyer in that case, though. So I'm talking about documents on the client. No, I, uh, that's surprising. The closest I've ever come is a, is a client who had a grand jury subpoena, and they were worried about tangential exposure because the grand jury was getting a lot of information from them about this person who had done bad things and they were worried that they might be eventually a target as a result. But that's about as close as I've been, a grand jury subpoena. I've yeah, I've had a client who's had who's been pursued no by a grand jury and there was a raid and um, and there was an uh, like what they've been they called it originally with Trump, the taint team set up kind of an independent panel of attorneys to look at documents and then the client allowed to conduct their own privilege review not regarding the matter that I was working on but regarding a different criminal matter and um, it, it can be kind of a mess and it, it's one of the things that makes me think that this Mueller investigation is going to go on um, for much longer than than most people think. Well, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that the Mahler thing might just be dragged out just long enough to taint the, the election. No, I, I, here's, here's the reason I say no. I, I disagree with that theory. Ken, the Ken Starr uh, investigation went on for something like four or five years. Oh, yeah. Before... Watergate? Uh, well, not Watergate, but it started with started with white started with white water. White water. That's sorry. And I then know. and then it wound up around about the. There Winsky. was water in there somewhere. It wound up uh, around the Winsky. Um but but it went on for years and years and years, and 
and him continuing to subpoena witnesses, and he's got the first of them that has decided to go to trial. I believe they go to jury selection on Wednesday in Man Paul Manafort's case, uh, who's, who's the first one who hasn't rolled and taken a deal. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But the fact that they're going into their first trial um, and the probe's ongoing, they're still interviewing people, makes me think that they still... I'd be really surprised if it got wrapped up by... Frankly, if I was in the Republican leadership, what I would be looking for is not to have... You know, several of them have, have, have tried to suggest that it should wrap up by September. I would suggest, you know what, let's stop talking about it. Let's hope it wraps up two years from now. And uh, let's not talk about it from, from now until after the elections. Uh, because they can't really control it. I mean, the worst possible outcome for the president would be if he calls Rod Rosenstein, directs him to fire the special prosecutor. Rosenstein has all but indicated if that happens, he's going to resign. And then if his deputy, who's next in line for that, resigns, rather than fire him as well, you basically have you know, shot-for-shot shot remake of Bloody Sunday, I think it was Bloody Sunday, Bloody Saturday, the, the day where Nixon uh, started directing uh, the Attorney General to fire the special prosecutor who was looking into Watergate, and that was what led directly, because they all started resigning until it got actually down to Robert Bork, who said... You know, it was third or fourth in line. It basically said to the president, okay, so you're going to fire this guy no matter what. It just, the only thing that's going to be determined is how many people you're going to fire before you do it, right? And Nixon supposedly says, yeah, that's correct. And so then he, Bork says, fine, I'll fire him. Wow. Which is probably a bad idea, given that Bork wanted to be on the Supreme Court later. But, um... He probably had a better, had a little bit better chance had he had he resigned instead of doing the firing. But um, tis what tis. Yeah, if, <clears throat> if if Trump were to pull something like that, my guess would be that would be the be at very least the beginning of the end of his presidency. Um, which is why so many on both sides of the aisle have, have um, encouraged him very strongly not to do that, not to get involved in trying to get rid of him um, because it just looks too Nixonian and kind of once he's in place you kind of got to let him let it play out and if the deputy FBI director decides to fire him then that's one thing but so is it appropriate to tape record your clients are there? So that, that's the big, that's the big yeah, COVID It depends thing, right? on what you mean by appropriate. I mean, it, it, I mean a lot of people are saying, I can oh, it's illegal, I can oh, give it's you a break. I can, and, and Trump himself said, oh, I can't believe an attorney would do that. But yeah, why, the, why the can't he believe it? The amount of legal knowledge contained in that guy's head, I bet, it, <laughs> is, is less than, I mean, could probably fill an entire pamphlet. I mean, it, it's not, 
he, he, he has not shown himself to be the greatest legal scholar. Um, apparently, at least according to the commentators I've seen, the recordings themselves were legal because they were done in a, and I don't know which one, but they were done in a one-party state, which um, for listeners who, who may, may not be familiar, um, there's a federal, federal wiretapping laws allow states to either de- declare themselves one-party or two-party states, meaning that either the, the recording can be legal if one party knows that it's uh, one party one party of the conversation knows that it's occurring or in two party states both or all of the of the people on the phone have to be aware that it's occurring and um, you know in, in one party states there's typically a lot of pressure they, there was an attempt to make Utah a two party state the last year the year before and uh, typically you encounter a lot of resistance from law enforcement and from others because obviously if you're a two-party state it makes um, you know warrantless wiretapping using an informant a lot more difficult well with the two-party state stuff though I mean it's very hard to draft this is I, I wrote to I wrote to my senator when this bill came up saying it was a bad idea but I mean it it, 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 it becomes so broad if you don't really narrowly tailor the law, and again, I haven't seen one that is sufficiently narrow that I could stomach it. But think about this. You, you, you're having a birthday party, and you're recording you know, people talking at the birthday party. I mean, it, technically, okay, that would have been a violation of the law that they, had on the, that they wanted to put on the books Technically, that would be a violation of the federal wiretapping statute, yes. But... but we all know that there's a big difference between, you know, incidental sort of violations. I mean, it was it, who, I can't remember which. On recording. I, I, I don't there. know if it was Alex Kaczynski in the night who used to be on the Ninth Circuit who said you put a traffic cop behind somebody, drive and have them drive for 500 miles. That person's going to get a ticket. And, and oh yeah. And I think that's that's kind of the way. It is when you take into account incidental recordings like that. Yeah, if if you put the FBI in your office uh, and you're in a two-party no, state, no, eventually no. there's going to be some sort of what it did, what it did is it criminalized it. I mean, sure, it, it, I don't know. It was garbage. I, it, my point is there, there's a good reason for keeping it a one-party state. I think that's one of the weaker arguments. No, no, no. Uh, certainly. The other thing I was going to point out, though, is um, I think one-party. The one-party rule keeps things a little more civil. I can't imagine in a two-party, in a two-party situation, man, I would. You could get crazy on the phone with somebody, and you have. Well, no and there's and there. I, I can tell you from experience, not personal, but uh, from another attorney I knew. Um, for a friend. No, this literally was asking for a, a different a different attorney at a previous firm I worked at. Um, she had recorded a conversation she had with a uh, somebody who she believed to be the form a former employee of this company and the first thing she did when she got on the phone recording the conversation surreptitiously was confirmed that he was a one party he was he was a former employee and um, you know oh yeah 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 I haven't worked there in a long time and asked him a bunch of questions interviewed him okay Thank you very much. Signs off. All right. 
later gets a an irate phone call from opposing counsel and a a motion for sanctions claiming that this guy is a current employee and how dare they speak to him they rehire him and well they they didn't they they apparently weren't aware that um I don't know if they had talked to him and he'd said yeah I told her I I, I told her that I worked there or if they even asked him, I don't know. I suspect they probably didn't even ask the guy. They just found out she'd talked to him and what he'd said. And so she recorded it, though? And she recorded it, and she included a transcript of the recording with Was her good response. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> there were sanctions issued in that case, but they went the other way. I oh, mean, wow. Yeah. It, 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 so it can be, I can tell you, even in one-party states, um, I, I don't know that it affects the civility factor because I, I think well, no, my point is, I think people don't assume that they're being recorded. Well, certainly, but I think that you're the in fact they assume they're not. Well, I think you would assume they're not, but where in a two-party state you have the law behind you, you can say whatever you want. No, that's and, true. And and my point is civility, at least as amongst attorneys. I mean the. The dogs are off the leash when it's a two-party state. I can say whatever I want, and he can never report well, it because the, it's a crime. The reality is, yeah, that, that's true. The reality is, though, and, and I should say also in Utah, there, there is also, I think it was the commentator was Dan Abrams. He brought up that there are also ethical rules about surreptitious recording in some states. Utah's uh, ethics advisory committee has come down, and I think that at this point the Supreme Court has accepted that uh, the surreptitious recording by attorneys is legal and ethical in the state um, and uh, and issued an opinions on that and that's probably not the case in every one party state so any attorney who's listening to this and thinking gosh maybe I should I should record everybody uh, some conversations with some people that I don't trust um, probably ought to check that out but I, I will say that there's always those lawyers in the state, and maybe this is because we're such a small community, where you deal with everybody fairly frequently, and there's always those lawyers, I'm not gonna say any names, but where everybody you talk to says, yeah, that guy's a psycho, and make sure you could either record everything he, he says you know, on the phone, or confirm it in an email, otherwise he's gonna pretend it like it was, yeah. Yeah, it, it was never said, or they're going to interpret it. I, I mean, I even had an experience with a, with a, a formerly close friend where that the same sort of thing happened, but it was in person. And luckily, I happened to be recording the conversation and um, and was able to um, show that uh, what she said happened uh, was nowhere near what had happened. But um, you know, so in that I get that sense. I guess recording. Uh, has although that wasn't surreptitious, there was a the phone was put on record and set on the desk uh, in front of her, um, so I don't know how she could have missed it, but and she commented on it on the recording anyway. Um, but uh, you know, I think with people like that, sometimes it's easier to send a confirming email. Sometimes it's easier to just have an app on your computer and hit the record button and then just save it away and hopefully you'll never need it. Um, but, you know, if you do, 
you've got it there. And, you know, and when people say, well, we agreed this, you can come back with inc surprisingly, incredibly detailed recollections of exactly what was agreed to in the phone call, um, you know, without revealing uh, the existence of the recording and, and, you know, where there are big, long stipulations that are being made in complicated cases, I think uh, it could be useful there. Um, I've even, in fact, I've even, with some of those where it gets really complicated, I've even told counsel, all right, counsel, why don't we do this? We've, we've got the stipulation here. It's pretty complex. Why don't I hit record on this wall, go through, and I'll, I'll recite what I think we've agreed to, and everybody can go around and say whether that I'm correct or not. And then I'll email it to all of you, and we'll have a record, and then we can go up and type up a stipulation, and then there won't be any problems with, you know, no, the way that's not what was said, because we'll have a recording of it. And um, everybody's, I've never had anybody say, no, I don't want to do that. Um, so that's helpful, but it sounds like, you know, it sounds like if Cohen was surreptitiously recording Trump, in their conversations, um, it seems to me there's, you know, assuming it's more than one, it seems like there's really only one possible explanation for why he might do that. What do you mean? Why only one? Well, I mean, if it's only him and Trump on the phone, and he's representing Trump, and he's recording Trump without Trump knowing about it. Um, it seems like the only reason for him to be doing that consistently and repeatedly is that, I mean, either he has the, the memory of a goldfish and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to forget anything that he's been told. Or he's worried. <laughs> he's worried that, you know, he's going to be, you know, grabbed summarily by the ankles and thrown under the bus as soon as one of the strategies goes wrong. I mean, doesn't that... Is there any other well, conclusion that, that I, follows? I think it's similar to maybe a, a follow-up email with your client wherein you're explaining, you know, what what the risks and terms, et cetera, were so that your client doesn't come back later on and say, no, 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 I I never agreed to this. It's what have same, you done? It's the same thing, right? Certainly, certainly. And now I, I think that's probably why he did it. The, uh, right, but the odd thing is is that with the email, then the, client, board. the, the client, client would says, know. Yeah. But, I mean, it sounds like in this case it was above board too, although I guess it depends on what the ethical rules are in that particular state. And I don't know what they Well, are. it's hush money. But I don't know that yeah, necessarily your client's going to appreciate sending an email out like, hey, okay, so we're going to... They haven't said they haven't said that all the recordings just deal with the paying the hush money to the uh, porn star. These could no, be... No, this was a... This is a... This is a playmate. Oh, an the, ex -playmate, the other one. Not a porn star. The other one. The Stormy Daniels, she's the... She's I just the, remember there's she's two... She's the adult entertainer. There's, she does not entertain children. There's, she entertains adults. <laughs> there's two mistresses that were... Mistry. The mist the mistry that were paid <laughs> off or were discussed being paid off. One and one was a performance artiste. Sure. One was merely a a uh, you know, one's moving pictures, one's just pictures. It one's just pictures, yeah. I I think um you know, there I don't think there's any indication that these that these uh, 
Who knows? Maybe there's a radio. I mean, if there. he's reco- if he was recording those conversations, um, what what is the likelihood that he just started recording Trump when they started? I mean, these were, those were made well, in the last we, in the last couple of months of the campaign. Yeah, two. I think. And two he'd been representing him for years. Uh-huh. What is the likelihood that there are just hundreds Box, boxes of, of of recordings of all sorts of stuff? Obviously, we probably will never get any of that because it's you know unless there's a crime unless we fraud wave attorney-client privilege well, to everything. Unless unless they you know they may get a special master to listen to all of it and say. Which I think that's what they're doing, is they've oh, got yeah? a special master. I know they're doing that with the documents. I don't know if they're doing that with recordings. But that's... that's a, Yeah, so the lady's name's what, Barbara or something, that's what That's what those taint teams are for, is they're supposed to be independent from the investigation. They're supposed to review for attorney-client privilege. But I think there's a special master in this case, and you know she may wind up listening to tapes, and if, if there's a crime or, or fraud or something else that would breach the attorney-client privilege... Or a third party involved in the conversation. Um, I mean, who knows what's going to come out of there? That's one another reason I think the Mueller investigation is nowhere near wrapping up. I mean, it's it may be within a couple of years of being wrapped up, but I don't I don't think it's you're going to see anything before the election. Maybe you know a leak or two or so. Is he is he just now? Correct me for my lack of. In, Information is he just in <clears throat> uh, investigating collusion, or is he investigating his, just whatever he finds? His mandate is surprisingly broad because of there's. And I, I remember seeing uh, something. It talks about the the mandate from the from the uh, FBI talks about you know collusion, the Russian government and involvement of the Russians in the election, and any collateral. Crimes or any crimes discovered in the course of the of the investigation. I mean, there's a line, there's a catch-all line at the end of it that makes it very that makes it. I think will make it very difficult for any judge. There was a judge in Virginia who tried to who you know questioned the FBI team pretty hard about what whether or not something was outside their mandate with regard to Manafort because he's being prosecuted for money laundering and tax evasion charges that, you know, all the facts took place years before um, the campaign, uh, but ultimately is let it go through, which tells me, you know, okay, so, um, you know, we have, you know, it, 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 it's a very broad mandate. Uh, to investigate the president. And with most presidents, even with President Clinton, I would say that's generally a bad idea. Um, with everything that's come out with President Trump and with all of the, I mean, you know, with his state, some of the statements that he's made, I mean, he's almost bragged about him being able to do whatever he, I mean, he said during the campaign he could go out and shoot someone in the middle of Times Square and his supporters would still vote for him. And he's claimed that he can pardon himself, and he's, I mean, he's, he's making all of the claims of untouchability that Nixon was making in private, but he's making them in public. And to me, I, that suggests that there has to be somebody 
or some 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 organization or somebody that is able to hold the president accountable regardless of how long it takes and whatever it costs because otherwise the president becomes unchecked a, a law unto himself and you know if the only remedy is impeachment and you can't investigate anything that would lead to impeachment then you know how how can the president uh, ever be ever be held accountable and uh, you know obviously in the law we believe everybody should be held accountable in America we believe that so so what is it? I don't know I'm just I'm uh, I'm still frankly surprised I mean I circling back to the main theme the attorney-client privilege and recordings I just I mean that that is so the important. The waiver, waiver. I still I can't get over it. I can't get over it. I think. Well, I think that you. It's may just have, so you, goofy. You may, you may be correct that that they felt like they couldn't respond or give their their version of it. Well, let of, but of but, but give, then give your version, and let that be an implicit waiver. But don't come out and overtly wave your hand up and say, you know what, screw it. Um, oh, I would I would say you'd be better off making an express explicit waiver waving as to because uh, you're you're less likely to get caught in that trap of saying all right well if this is if this is opening waived, the door then you know all of, perhaps all of these recordings it's been waived you know because he started discussing it so it's probably wiser to make it express but you know I still think that. Um, you know, once it's out there and they want to respond, if they want to, if they want to respond, they can't keep the attorney-client privilege, so they might as well make an express waiver. But, um, mm. you know, I, 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 boy, I, the November elections will determine a lot because I think if the Democrats take over the, and I, as a, as a registered Republican, I say this: if the Democrats take over the House. I think there's no doubt in my mind that, that Trump will eventually be impeached. Now, whether he'll be convicted on the impeachment in the Senate, I think is unlikely, because that's never happened in American history. But I think if the, if the Democrats get a hold of the, the committee process and are able to um, hold hearings, I think, I think he's, you know... Unless, 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 you know, they're, they're right and all these millions of dollars being spent by Mueller, who's a pretty, everybody said he's a pretty straight shooter, is just completely, you know, there's... Crazy. You know, all, all smoke, no fire. Um, I, I think they're going to find a way. Hmm. But, um, you know... Well, that probably is good for this week. I'd like to thank everybody for listening into the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Apologize, we have no fun concerts or things to. Yeah, we got include. a little political today. Oops. And it got a little political, which we we'd usually try and avoid because what the hell do we know about politics? <laughs> but uh, you know, um, it's kind of hard. 
uh, when you discuss current events in the United States. Maybe next States. time we should talk about relative uh, risk. Uh, uh, next time we're going to talk about bunnies and. Uh, nah, we should talk about bunnies. Bikes rats. versus scuba diving, which is stupider. Well, bikes versus scuba diving, which is more dangerous, is I think what you mean. Same thing. Yeah. Um, but until next time, thank you very much for listening and see you next week. <laughs>